Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have you ever felt like you've tried everything to heal from the pain of sexual abuse, and yet nothing seems to really be helping? Well, one of the reasons why most people struggle to break free from the pain of past child abuse is because the techniques out there are positioned as a one-size-fits-all answer. What I want you to know is that there are actually three distinct phases on the path to recovery, and I'd love to share with you about these phases what issues you must resolve to move to the next phase, and what kinds of support you'll need in order to move forward as quickly and completely as possible. The road to recovery is much easier when you know what stage you're in and what to do next. So don't hesitate. Go to www.rachelgrantcoaching.com checklist and get your nine-page guide today. Now, on to our show. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. And uh, most importantly, it's about moving forward and finally healing from the pain of abuse. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Rachel Grant, and I am a sexual abuse recovery coach, have been doing that work since 2007. I also have an MA in counseling psychology and am the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage in recovery from sexual abuse. And each month, I have the honor of coming here to you via the Beyond Surviving podcast and bringing amazing people into your world. And today is no exception to that rule. Um, today, we have with us the beautiful Regina Fletcher, and she is going to be here talking with us about how we can heal and grow 
through friendship and using that relationship as a jumping off point for so many things in our healing journey. So just to tell you a little bit about Regina, she's a teacher turned relationship coach and activist. She supports clients in creating and maintaining sustainable relationships that are romantic and platonic. And she loves working with people more um, interested in resisting the status quo in dating and relationships than conforming to it. And I have to tell you, I've had the um, great pleasure of hanging out with Regina and, and working with her and collaborating with her. And um, I just am um, so happy to have you here with us today, Regina. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm just so excited to be on this podcast and really appreciating the service that you provide and that this really intimate format of a podcast um, can provide for people. Yeah, awesome. So let's start off with a little bit of a change in your life that happened along the way. You were actually a public school teacher, so out there in that world, and then found your way into coaching. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Sure. Yeah. Um, I often joke to people that I got into the world of personal change in the most bureaucratic way possible, um, which was teaching in low-income schools. And, you know, for people that uh, don't know that much about our public school system, a lot of the low-income schools that predominantly serve students of color um, are so regimented. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of encouraging teachers be very punitive um, in the way that they respond to children who are acting out and having trauma. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was in that world for several years. Uh, first as a, you know, a substitute, um, you know, a mentor in this freedom school in Richmond, California, a little bit outside of Berkeley. And then, um, you know, after getting laid off and, and feeling pretty exhausted from my often 14-hour days, I realized that I needed to take a pause and figure out, um, you know, I, I knew that I, I loved teaching, I loved helping people grow. And I also reflected on some of my students that had a really hard time academically. And many of those students had a really hard time socially and emotionally as well. Um, you know, I realized we didn't have a great framework for how do two kids get into a really scary physical fight at school you know, probably get suspended, a lot of really strict, um, you know, punitive measures taken, and then come back together in the same classroom for the rest of the year, maybe even right. a year, you know, <laughs> right. if they're in the same uh, small school. Um, so, I mean, these were things that were just very alive for me, and I accepted this position uh, teaching English in Thailand, and um, it was there that I was hosted by um, a couch surfing host, you know, the website couchsurfing.com, mm -hmm. um, which, by the way, I, I recommend is a, a great way to sort of dip your toe into like adventurous friend making. Um, it's a pretty cool resource out there. And uh, my host happened to be going through a really difficult breakup. And, uh, you know, she's a Thai woman who'd been dating an American, and, and we just ended up having these really powerful cross-cultural conversations about ethics in terms of relationships, what you ask of a partner, and what your boundaries are. And, um, you know, at that point, I, I'm still in my 18-year partnership. I think at that point, what it had been, 13 or 14 years. Um, and so kind of, you know, I got into this relationship when I was young, and so I've often been, um, you know, just a place of 
having reached the various relationship milestones earlier than many of my peers and mm. being there to give them relationship support and advice. So, um, yeah, just a few things kind of lined up and then I was like, all right, I am, I am ready to take this on. I don't know where it's wow. going, but I'm doing it. <laughs> Man, you know, I think that's a common story, right? Life kind of leads you in these into these experiences, and then before you know it, it's like there's this opportunity in front of it. And I love that you were able to step into that opportunity. How beautiful to just see, you know, things unfolding. And, you know, one of the things that really stands out to me from what you shared is this moment of, you know, being laid off from, you know, a career and a job that you'd been doing and how that can bring up such a mixture of things. And it sounds like on one hand relief because really mm -hmm. noticing you're going to burn <laughs> out and like, okay. And, you know, sometimes these, you know, it's a, it's an old adage, but, you know, one door closes, another door opens. Yeah. And um, I've seen that happen in, in my life so many times. And um, what we first might be experiencing as a problem leads us right. um, leads us forward in some way and so you you make this decision okay I'm going to go out and I'm going to start working with um, mainly women men and women both yeah, yeah. I yeah. um you know I've never been a person that really has that much more of an affinity for one gender over the other um you know and I mean occasionally my practice will tilt to be you know, more than 70%, you know, female or male, um, you know, uh, non-gender binary people are absolutely welcome and come to my workshops. But, um, you know, so far the clients I've worked with have been, you know, either male or female. Um, but yeah, I, I really, you know, I have this very inclusive vision and, um, you know, the way it actually first started was I called my business Breakup Breakthrough and I had this idea of being a breakup coach. And this was very much part of my pattern that comes from responding to crises. You know, okay. being a very compassionate person and seeing, oh man, when people go through breakups, I mean, you know, as I, I'm sure you know, working with survivors of, uh, you know, sexual trauma, people that don't have a strong foundation for, you know, emotionally stable relationships and having a lot of confidence, the world around them will be stable can get incredibly destabilized by something like a breakup yeah. or divorce. And um, it's, it's not true anymore, but a, a few years ago, divorce was the number four cause of homelessness in America, which, you know, is obviously like sort of a, a complex intersection of factors, but many, mm. many people cited the, the occasion that I became homeless for the first time was my divorce. Wow. Um, and so wanting to respond to this crisis, and, um, you know, it was a, it was a good start, you know, it certainly is a unique, um, niche being a breakup coach, but I also realized that I wanted to do more than respond to crisis. And that was also very similar to the way I became a teacher was it wasn't me having this grand vision for what education could be. It was more, oh my gosh, this is so unfair. Look at this data about, you know, how poor students of color, you know, are performing lower, have, you know, poor resources and students with more resources and to instead, you know, really come to this place of formulating my own vision of how we can have healthier, more sustainable, inclusive relationships. Um, and so then I renamed a few years later to Love Leaf Coaching. And then that's where I am today, doing uh, relationship coaching, friendship coaching, dating coaching. Nice. Love that. Well, you know, I, I, I think that's a really interesting, um, you know, moment in a journey where you start to look at where you're coming from and why you're coming from that place. 
and mm -hmm. to what benefit it can have, but then also what am I missing? Maybe there's no more to the story here. And that helps you to kind of refine um, the work that you wanted to do. Now, one of the reasons I was excited about having you on the podcast is because, you know, relationship coaching, I think, is something people are familiar with. They kind of understand. They have a sense of like what that means. Oh, you're going to help me have healthy romantic relationships and maybe even find a partner of these sorts of things. But friendship coaching, <laughs> right? I think uh, you might have the corner on the market in that and uh, because we don't hear about that much. And I think building friendships when it comes to healing from sexual abuse trauma is really an important piece of that puzzle. Build, being able to build a network, build a community. And um, yes, those romantic relationships and being able to be successful in that is important too. But a lot of times we step over this piece of what it means to really be able to have good friendships. And so I'd love for you to talk with us a little bit about what that even looks like. What is friendship coaching and what does it do and what's important about that or that for people to learn about friendship? Sure. So, I mean, there's that old adage, friends are God's apology for your family. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. Oh, my God. Oh, well, then. <laughs> time, time so people can catch it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this idea, you know, that friends are God's apology for your family, you know, whether you have faith in God or not, friendship is this beautiful option that we can opt into at whatever stage of healing we're at. Um, so, I mean, I, I would imagine many of the people that you work with um, might have some really difficult relationships with their family, some of whom contributed to their abuse or deny it. Um, and, you know, then, then for many people, the next step is, okay, you know, when I become a grown up, then I'm going to choose one romantic partner and that is where I'm going to invest all my energy. Um, and then, you know, often those of us that have unhealed trauma, you know, are getting into like poor relationship, like one poor relationship after another, kind of mirroring some of these traumatic patterns. And, you know, I, I'm not advocating for pessimism, but just, realism. Like when we look at the data, people that have had sexual assault and trauma in their childhood are extremely likely to get into unhealthy, traumatic, romantic partnerships. However, friendship is this beautiful option we have where, you know, generally people don't have this attitude of like, you know, it's all or nothing with friendships. I mean, so often with romantic partnerships, there's this concept of the escalator relationship, which, which I actually do not advocate for. So, you know, the escalator being like, okay, first you meet someone, you're attracted to them, and then maybe you're having this romantic sexual connection, and then you start talking about, like, what's my label? What's my role? Do we tell our families about each other? Are we having holidays? Do we move in together? Like, it's got this clear trajectory. And if you're a person who is still working out how to handle conflict without fleeing the situation, denying it, threatening, like if you are still having those patterns, you're probably going to bring them to your romantic partnerships. And, and it doesn't, you know, you can absolutely work through those and heal from that, you know, in a very like complete long-term way. But in the meantime, having friends, that you can form this connection with where you can start out as like, oh, you know, we're nice activity partners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's so nice to have somebody who can join me. And then, you know, that person asks 
you for a favor. They're like, oh, can you drive me to the airport favor? And then you're kind of doing that one. And then maybe you are doing a holiday meal together. You get really disappointed on how they, they cancel last minute. And you can kind of work through this conflict, maybe make some mistakes or have them make some mistakes. And I think the amount of people that are willing to keep a friend in their life who, you know, didn't show up in a way that they wanted. It, it's just there's a lot more abundance with friendships um, than with this kind of like monogamous nuclear family escalator model. Right. Um, so I really I see friendships as this golden opportunity to kind of practice having really healthy relationships. Um, you know, and like so often people I, I just sent out a, a newsletter about this, how people can be such perfectionists. Like, I'm not ready to date, you know, I need to, right. I need to lose weight, so I need <laughs> yeah. to be more financially stable, I need to, you know, work through my trauma, and yeah, these are all things, you know, that might be very beneficial to do, but to deny yourself that, like, love and connection, because you know you're still a work in progress, mm. I just think it contributes to so much isolation and loneliness. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Wow, that's... Awesome. I have like 50 questions going on in my head now. (laughs) Where do I start? Where do I start? So what I really love about that is understanding that friendship can be this kind of safe space. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more because this is a question that's come up between me and my girlfriends. I don't know how many times. (laughs) Why is it with my girlfriend when she does something that gets on my nerves, I can kind of be like chill about it and have a decent conversation and approach it in kind of a calm way. Ooh, but when it's my lover, it's like, ah, you know, you go to kind of like crazy town sometimes. And I'd love for you to talk with us a little bit about those dynamics. Like what do you think is, you know, absent slash present in these two different types of relationships that creates that difference for people? Sure. Um, well, there are a couple different ways of looking at it. Um, you know, there are some people that would point to a very biological drive um, and they would say, you know, there are hormones released when you have a sexual connection with somebody that give you this like protective, you know, instinct. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a biologist, you know, I'm, I'm not going to discredit that. Um, but there is a ton of evidence that our socially constructed notions that, you know, our, you know, our romantic partner is supposed to be this provider for children we may or may not ever have, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and like this idea of like, oh, in choosing a romantic partner, we're either modeling it off our parents or rejecting our parents. You know, these are, these are social constructs. I mean, there's this book, um, Marriage History by Stephanie Kuntz, and she basically traces the the history of marriage and romantic love, and, and um, spoiler alert, it's kind of a recent construct. Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and it, it's based on this very sort of like economic partnership of like bringing together two families, um, you know, often very tied to agriculture, having enough children to take care of the farm. Um, you know, and so, I mean, I think for, for the majority of us who are not living in agrarian societies, um, and then, you know, she traces, it's really only been, gosh, like one to 200 years of this notion of your marriage should also be full of like romantic love right. and, you know, yeah. friendship and, you know, they should be your confidant and someone that actually turns you on. Like these are actually pretty recent contracts. Sure. Um, 
you know, that we can trace back to various uh, books and, um, you know, media advertisements um, that she goes through in her book, you know, we can, we can see that a lot of this is very socially constructed. And so, you know, many of us, just our idea of friends is, um, you know, friends are people who might encourage us to take risks. You know, like we might be very sad when our friend decides to pursue a new career and move away from us, but it's, um, it's a little less socially acceptable to say like, I can't believe you're leaving me, you know, you're leaving this friendship. You know, so we kind of have this attitude of like, oh, I might, I might really miss this person, but still I'm very happy for them moving on with our next steps. I kind of wish we could have more of that for our romantic partners. Um, you know, I, I certainly, that is something that I advocate for people really supporting their romantic partners in developing to their fullest potential and not having this like possessive, like you need to really stay in this box for me. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, just being realistic, most of the world is kind of up or, you know, let's just say in American society, a lot of people are really operating under this nuclear family context. But with our friends, um, you know, we have a lot more leeway. Yeah, you know, what comes to mind when you say that is that romantic relationships have a propensity, I think, of hitting the abandonment fears for survivors of sexual abuse Absolutely. in ways that friendships can, but not necessarily to that same degree for some of those reasons that you were, you were naming there. So, yeah, that's really an interesting um, distinction for us to have and to pay attention to. And what would it be like if we were able to relate to our romantic partners in that same kind of space. Is that impossible? Is it crazy to think that we could do that? No, no, I mean, it's, it's not impossible. Um, I do think for most people, it's a challenge. And I also, I really, um, you know, I, I coach people to have their, their friendships and their romantic connections be synergistic. So for example, when people say, wow, you're in an 18 year partnership and you're 37, how did you guys make that work? That's amazing. You know, I'm like, yes, we have certainly been through a lot of changes mm -hmm. over the years. Yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> That's a whole lot of life. And I would yeah. say my friends, you know, my mm -hmm. friends have been there for me when I've been in some really dark times, when my partner has been in some really dark times. And I would say if I had adhered to this very traditional nuclear family model of like, okay, my partner has to be the person who is there to meet all my emotional needs, be my sexual partner, you know, be the person I make house with. He has to, you know, um, fit all these things. Like we would have broken up a really long time ago, but you know, instead we can kind of <laughs> sure. give ourselves permission to go through some of these phases. Um, and you know, then some of my friends become the people that I turn to for emotional support. Some of the people, like I, I have friends, you know, come over to pretty much all my Christmas and Thanksgiving celebrations, in addition to having my partner um, there as well. So I really think, um, you know, there's that, that model that many people participate in of, um, okay, I have a new romantic partner. I'm super excited. I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket and then right. kind of forget yeah. about my friends. Right. And, and then I, you have the breakup right. and then you try to reach out to your friends. They're like, dude, you've done this three times. Right. I'm tired of like being there for you yeah. every time you're in a crisis. And I think to instead have this model of like, Ooh, I'm really excited about this new romantic partner. Mm -hmm. But let me also make time for the people that have been there for me for years. Yeah. And explore with this person and not need to get disappointed every time that they're 
saying like, whoa, hey, I can't quite go on this journey the way that you're asking me to. Can we kind of take a moment and figure this out? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is such good advice, Regina, <laughs> because I have been in that pattern myself in my life where it's like, okay, hey, I've got the guy or I've got the girl and now everybody, you know, off to the, you know, leave me alone, <laughs> right? That disappearing act that we can mm-hmm. do, we find ourselves in, you know, romantic relationship and that, and I've certainly grown out of that trap because as you say, yeah, beautiful. we need to continue to foster those relationships and have other people in our lives, our, our mate, if you will, or the person who we are connecting with on a romantic, sexual mm-hmm. lover level is not the end all be all. And mm-hmm. when we try to put that pressure on those that person, it almost, it just derails things so quickly, so easily in that way. One question that was coming to mind as you were sharing was, you know, I think at this point in my life, making friends, going out, being social, connecting with people feels easy. There's a lot of, you know, um, room around that and spaciousness and fun and playfulness and not a lot of anxiety or shutdown. That wasn't always the case though. And I'm curious about for you, um, what have you seen in your, you know, journey of, you know, building friendships or maybe in the clients that you've worked with, what are some of the common struggles that you hear people kind of bringing to the table around building friendships and what some of the guidance or or tips that you might give them? Sure. I mean, um, just as, just as uh, the nature of friendship is so beautifully diverse. Um, the struggles that people have are also really diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll speak for myself. I've, you know, I've always seen friendship as an important part of my life. Um, I am the only child of a mother who's an only child and a father who has one sister that lives across the country. I've only met a handful of times. And so, um, you know, I, I, you know, I certainly like I live with my parents. They still live near me. We have this close connection. Um, but it was just very real to me. If I want to have pure companionship in my life, like I need to be a good friend. And, um, you know, I certainly did have envy of people that had these close connections, their cousins, aunts, uncles, and siblings. Um, but of course, many people have very difficult relationships with those people as well. Um, you know, so I mean, friendship has always been something that was a priority to me, even as I was starting this 18 year partnership, uh, we lived 80 miles apart and, um, you know, we're at different phases in our lives. So I, I very much was sort of developing this group of friends uh, at the same time I was developing a somewhat long distance uh, relationship, certainly long for someone who didn't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Distance <laughs> is long when you don't have a car. And no cell phones either, um, to date myself a little bit, but, um, yeah. And, um, so, you know, I, I have been very fortunate to have a lot of, you know, a lot of friends from decades ago, as well as, you know, I'm also a person that is frequently bringing new people into my life. Um, you know, who like, sometimes I feel very close to sometimes it's a little bit more of like that activity partner connection or like, Hey, let's inspire each other through this um, phase of our lives. But I remember there was a period of time in my early twenties when I was incredibly insecure and uncertain about my career path. And I really held back from, you know, making new friends because I just, I didn't feel worthy. I felt like I was probably the most low-income earning, boring, uncertain, least mature person 
in a social group. And so just the idea that someone would be interested in me, that like, oh no, they would blow my cover and find out like, gosh, you know, in addition to doing acting in theater, she's also just a substitute teacher. Like, I, oh gosh, you know, I remember, <laughs> yeah. you know, holding myself back. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm in a much more empowered place, I'm really, you know, I feel like I found my calling with this relationship coaching. Um, and then adding things to it, like I recently got certified to be a mediator to help people work through, um, you know, disputes as an alternative to going, um, going to court. You know, um, like I will befriend people who, you know, maybe are also very young or uncertain or, um, you know, just don't have some of those pieces in place. And, and sometimes I'm just like, just in awe of what seems to be confidence and optimism and just like oh wow like I can't wow that yeah. sounds like accessible like you know I could have had that back then if only if only what I don't know you know yeah. Yeah. Um, right. I started my journey of mindfulness and self-love at an earlier time um you know and then I also encounter people that do reveal to me their insecurities and I'm just like oh honey like that does not make me you know like you any less mm -hmm. like you are still mm -hmm. a really mm -hmm fun, exciting, motivated, endearing person, whether or not, you know, you're on the brink of not being able to pay your rent or, you know, you're, you're kind of like hustling various jobs just to make it happen. Like I really, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there, there's a wealth of people that um, are really able to look past, you know, career right. indecision, which yeah. is my major insecurity point. Um, gosh, and in terms of my clients, and so, I mean, I definitely work with a lot of people that have social anxiety. And, um, you know, now, now I am into mindfulness. Um, and so I do coach people to uh, really work on this, this self-love piece and this self-awareness of kind of noticing, like, when am I starting to have this anxiety or perceiving that people don't want to spend time with me because I'm actually picking up on cues? And when am I just falling into an old pattern that doesn't make any sense? Right. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. a little bit of, you know, what people are going through. Thanks. Yeah. You know, I think that piece that you're hitting on, which is the insecurity piece, the, I feel like there's something about me that is less than or is a problem and people aren't going to understand it or people are going to judge it. And then that stands in our way. But as you're saying, so many times people love us anyway, and it's mm -hmm. our own kind of shutdown around that, that causes us to isolate or separate from other yeah. people. Mm. So Regina, I know that you're doing lots of amazing work out in the world and you have a series coming up pretty soon around dating and relating in the Me Too era, which mm -hmm. I love and I'm excited about. Um, so tell our listeners a little bit about that, um, that series and how they can um, access that. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like this series is sort of like that the culmination of uh, just so, so many different kinds of uh, work that I've been doing. So, um, you know, I, I'm hosting this meetup, which you were so gracious to be a guest at. And, and someone who came to one of the meetups, Monet Lavalet Garcia, is this self-love coach. And together we were talking about what kinds of workshops and programming we want to put in the world. And we both saw this issue of people saying, wow, some of the rules, the ideas about consent and uh, dating are, you know, are starting to shift and be uncovered. 
heard. And, you know, I know I certainly have some of my male clients tell me, you know, I was having this great 30 minute conversation with a woman at a party. She seemed really interested, but I just, I didn't want to be that guy. And so I didn't even ask her for a number. I'm like, oh man, it was 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> like, right. you know? <laughs> like you guys were both sober, you were talking, it was a public space. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, I'm hearing that. And then on, on the other side, or I mean, uh, you know, a different perspective I'm hearing is often women saying, I wish more men would be forward with me. I wish more people would show that interest, but mm. I know I just have my blinders on for self-preservation. Like oh, that's wow. just the yeah. way I kind of walk through the world. Cause sometimes when I return that smile, get into that conversation, it goes down a path and I have to like deal with this person who's kind of pushing me and crowding my space and I don't feel confident enough to navigate that. So mm. I'm hearing these different voices. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of these issues. Um, okay. Yeah. Part series. Um, the, I think by the time this podcast airs, the next one will be on December 9th. And then after that, there'll be four more on the first Sunday of the month. So okay. you can email me Regina at loveliefcoaching.com. Um, I hope to have them on my website or my Facebook uh, lovelyscoaching.com or Facebook dash turning a new lovely. So definitely if you reach out to me or find the link um, on your podcast, that's the way that you can get in touch. And they'll, they'll be in Berkeley at the HIP Cooperative. Okay, awesome. So for those of you listening in the Bay Area, definitely be sure to check out this upcoming workshop. And even if you're not in the Bay Area, you can reach out to Regina and take advantage of the resources and the support that she has available if, you know, relationship, friendship um, is on your mind and you could use some guidance and support around that. So go check her out at loveleafcoaching.com. So Regina, it's been so good to have you here as a guest today. Thank you for sharing your story and your journey and your insights about love and relationship and friendship yeah thank you so much for having me on the show um I, I just wanted to say one more thing we're also going to be having a weekly phone call um going along with the dating and relating in the me too era which people who are outside the bay area are welcome to participate oh in the call. perfect okay good yeah, yeah. <laughs> good 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 <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah, take advantage. Regina's got lots of great resources on her website. And this, of course, this wonderful workshop that's coming up that you can call into if you're not in the Bay Area. So check all of that out. And of course, thank you all for tuning in and joining us today. Don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to check out more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and explore the other resources that are available there on the website. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a note if you're enjoying what you're hearing and then come back next time because we have so much more to share. Until then, take good care of you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.